Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Well, good morning and welcome again to Calvary. Good to see you here gathered in person with us this morning. Looking forward to what God's going to say to us. Uh, thank you for joining us online this morning, and uh, I'm just glad we're all gathered here today. It's a little bit chilly outside, if you have noticed, right? Um, but I'm glad that we uh, we are still able to do this today, and I'm looking forward first Sunday of February, and uh, it's a it's just a great way to get the, the new month and this new year started off. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks here at Calvary, we've been talking about moving forward. And we're going to continue that, that journey today as we move forward. Last Sunday, if you, if you were able to, to join us, we talked uh, about that challenge. It was just that picture of all of us pulling on the rope together in the same direction and what God could do if we would all put our backs into that. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do as we continue to move forward. So today, uh, one of our first steps in that journey of moving forward is what we're going to call neighboring. Now, neighboring is an interesting word. Uh, it is actually a real word. It, honestly, it's, it means something that's near to or adjacent or, or close by, like uh, they live in a neighboring country or in a neighboring community, right? That's, that's the word, so using an adjective. But we're going to change it a little bit, kind of make our own little word up, and we're going to turn it into a verb, an action of how we're to act or what we're to do for those that are closest to us, our neighbors, and we're going to be talking what that looks like from Scripture, and I think you're going to find how important the Bible is, gives this emphasis. For the most part, for the next several weeks, we're going to be kind of unfolding a passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, we're going to be in Luke chapter number 10. And we're going to be there off and on for the next few weeks and looking at this particular issue. I think it's interesting. Last Sunday, if you, if you joined with us, we, we were in kind of an obscure book in the Old Testament, right? Remember some of the names we, that we couldn't pronounce or we tried to pronounce something? So that's where we were last Sunday. This Sunday, we're probably talking about, I would say perhaps the most famous uh, phrase or repeated phrase from the scriptures. Luke chapter 10, verse 27, begins with these words. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Would you say those last five words with me? Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, now, we, we know we're also entering into this week, we could call this Love Week, right? Next Sunday is Valentine's. I throw that in there for all you husbands. I just gave you a hint, okay? Make sure you got something for next week. But this is Valentine's Week we're looking forward to. So we're going to be talking about love. But let me, let me make sure you understand. Obviously, those last five words is going to be our focus for the next few weeks. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we get that concept of neighboring and what it really looks like to be and the neighbor that God has called us to be. Why I say it's so famous is that's one of those kind of phrases that uh, you, you'll put, you'll use it. It's a slogan. It's uh, you'll put it on a bumper sticker, or maybe you have it on the wall art of your house, right? Or you'll get a T-shirt made. You got a magnet on your refrigerator. It's love your neighbor as yourself. It's a phrase that we're familiar with, even if you're really not in church. You hear that; it has some meaning. But the question is going to be: Do we really practice that? Do we understand the the depth of what Jesus' thoughts were on that? And are we truly practicing that as His people? Love, because here's my thought. Think about what would happen if all of the followers of Jesus really put that into practice. 
If we as Christ followers understood what it was to love our neighbor as ourselves, and really did that, do you think that possibly some of, the, some of the major problems that we experience in our society have an answer and it was given to us 2,000 years ago right here in those words, love your neighbor as yourself? Think about the impact that could be have if we truly get an idea of what this means. So that's going to be our journey for the next few weeks. Today's kind of an introduction into that, into that thinking. And so to do that, let me, um, let's dive into that, that phrase a little bit. That's actually a combination commandment, if you would, those two commandments together. And it's used uh, three times in the Gospels. And each of the three times, this combination of those two commands, it's somehow in a conversation that Jesus has. So this is one of the three. Let me take you to the first one. The first time it's used in the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 22, it's actually Jesus himself giving these words, and, but it comes as a result of a question. One of the Pharisees, a, an expert in the law he's called, asked Jesus this question in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six: Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, that may not seem like an odd question. It, was, it, it really had a very strong basis in that time period because rabbis would come together and they would discuss issues. They would debate over things. And this was, from what we understand, one of the hot topics of that time because they have all these Old Testament laws and then the ones that they had. So the question was, which one's the greatest? And you've got people on both sides giving their opinions. and their, their, So why not? Here's a rabbi that everybody's kind of familiar with. Why not let Jesus weigh in on this question? So teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Listen to Jesus' answer. Verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. Now, Jesus could have stopped right there because he answered the question. The question was, what's the greatest commandment? He gave his answer. And I don't think anybody in the room would probably argue with that answer. It was a pretty good answer. In fact, it specifically comes from an Old Testament reference. He was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, where in, in that particular instance, in fact, it's what's called a part of a, a Jewish prayer that was recited pretty much morning and evening by many of the devout Jews. It's called the Shema. And the Shema starts with, with uh, or has included in these words, love the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6, 5, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But then Jesus continues. He doesn't stop with that. He could have. But he continues, verse 39, he says, and the second is like it. And what is that second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now we find that. That's also a quote, or, and it's part found in Leviticus chapter 19, where, where the Bible says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, what we can see, and we can see it even in Scripture, it doesn't appear to be uh, the first time that this combo is mashed together, and Jesus wasn't probably the only one that had said it in that combination. But what is interesting to me is this was a direct answer to a question, and Jesus took that command of, of loving your neighbor, and he puts it on the same level because he said the first and greatest commandment, the first mean that's the priority commandment. That's the one that, that you should have in, in above everything else. And then the greatest, that's the mega. That is above all. He puts that first greatest commandment. And he said, and the second one is like it. He elevates that to this, this level that's so critical, so important, that I find that Jesus gives us this, this understanding of the first commandment or the, and the second commandment in this way. Now, it makes sense to me. Love the Lord your God. That right? He deserves it. That's God. I, I get that. Now, it doesn't mean we always do it, but I, I understand that. That would make sense. 
but you're putting on the same level loving your neighbor as yourself? Now, that, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Just as you're thinking about this, you don't have to raise your hand because they could be in the room. Have you ever had a bad neighbor? Have you ever had one of those crazy ones, right? Of course, we're never the bad neighbor. It's always the, they're always the crazy. But have you ever had one of those? And, and I've got a couple running through my brains, right, of, of some that, but so you understand you, that concept of, yes, I can love God, but love my neighbor? Love my neighbor as myself. I mean, that's it. The way that I take care of myself, the way that I see that my needs are met, I'm supposed to do the same thing for, for them, for that one. That, that sounds, but Jesus puts them in the same level. First commandment, love God. Second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So what we're going to do as we unpack this, this Luke 10 over the next few weeks I want to start by looking at those two commandments specifically because I think Jesus uses this, this example here in Luke 10 to kind of teach us specifically about a couple of things about these commandments, and we'll continue to understand them as we move forward. But it's two very important things that I want you to grab today about these two commandments. First one is this. The great commandments reveal our basic need. The need of every human in the, in the race, all of us, all of us people, there is an underlying basic need, and these two commandments, they, they begin to bring that to the surface. Here's what we know. We go back to Luke chapter 10, where we, we read earlier. When that question or that statement is given, it is also given in a conversation with a, a skeptic, an antagonizer. In fact, here's how the Bible reads as that, that context begins. Luke chapter 10 Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Sounds very familiar to the other place, right? But this is a different instance because he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's a couple problems I have with that question. First one is this. It's really not a legitimate question. It's not a, uh, it, it wasn't meant to be because I'm curious or because I want an answer. The Bible literally says he was doing it to test him, to trick him, to, uh, to get him to say something that they could accuse him of. He's baiting him into an argument, right? This is the original Facebook and Twitter right here. This is somebody saying something to see if you'll bite and see if you'll get into it. He, he's literally saying, uh, Jesus, what, which side are you on? on this particular issue. It, it's kind of like us saying, are you Baptist Presbyterian? Are you Republican Democrat? Are you a Chiefs fan or a loser? I mean, whatever way you want to look. Sorry, did I say that out loud? Okay, here, here's the point. It, he was trying to bait him into an argument, but Jesus, obviously too smart for that. He's not fooled by the question. And so Jesus does something very interesting. He answers a question with a question. Look what he does in verse 26. Uh, so what is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And basically saying, sir, aren't you the expert in the law? Since you're the expert, why don't you tell us what you read in this law? And that's when, verse number 27, the expert replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a good answer, safe answer, well-respected answer. Probably everybody in the room would probably nod their heads that that sounds pretty good. In fact, Jesus says, good answer, you nailed it. Look at the next verse, verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Sounds good. Everything that you said the right thing, everything's, but 
Something you start to see wasn't setting very well with this expert as he hears this response of Jesus. He feels like it warrants a follow-up question, and it starts with this statement, verse 29, but he, that expert, wanted to justify himself. This is where I want you to understand. There's, there's another problem with the question that this expert asked. The first was it wasn't meant to be a question. It was a test. But secondly, he was asking a question that wasn't really an answerable question. It was based off the, a false premise. For instance, if I were to say to you, why is the world flat? Well, that's a bad question because the world's not flat. So I can't tell you why it is because it's not, right? It's based off a false premise. His question was this, what do I have to do to earn eternal life? The reason that's a bad question is because we don't do anything to earn eternal life. In fact, there's so many, this man was one, and there have been through, from his time, clear up even to our day, so many people who still have some sort of an understanding about, about faith, about God, that there is something that I have to do to go to heaven. There's something about my effort that is going to earn me a relationship. It's going to get me in good standing. It comes in shapes and sizes. Oh, I hope I'm good enough. Or I hope my good outweighs my bad when I get to heaven. I hope I, I'm a good, pretty good person, especially if you compare me to, you know, that guy. I, you know, I, and so in some way, where many people have this, this deep down thought that there's something that I have to, con- to do to contribute to my eternal destiny. So when Jesus says, good answer, do this and live, What he's done in this man's mind, he's got him thinking. Because here's Jesus' literal answer is this, sir, if if, if that's true, keep those commandments, then you have to do those perfectly. You you can't, there, there can never be a mistake now. Loving God completely, loving your neighbor as yourself without any mistakes, without any problems. You have to do this perfectly. And suddenly this guy's thinking, well, hmm, Loving my neighbor, you know, I can maybe, I can fool people about loving God, but loving my neighbor, that could be, a, be something that, that people would know. And you kind of hear him say, hmm, hrumph. I love, that's a word right there, hrumph. Try to spell that one. But he basically says, hmm, I, I, I can't love perfectly, so then what am I going to do? And he comes with that, that statement again. He says what, uh, he wanted to justify himself. What do I have to do, he's asking, or who do I have to truly love? That becomes a question. Who is it that, that if, I, if I'm going to be this, then there's got to be a loophole in here somehow. Because, yes, I love, oh, sure, I love, I'm a good neighbor to them and them and them, but, boy there's, boy, there's that guy. Does he have to be on the list? Are there any exclusions to this, I have to love my neighbor? Is, that, is there some neighbors? Yes, I get it, but there's some that no way. How, how, what, is, what does this list include about people who I am trying to, to love but here's a question you got to come down to. He said, I'm trying to justify himself. There's not one of us in here that can justify ourselves before a holy God. We stand before a, a God of absolute holiness, absolute perfection, and you cannot justify yourself before him. You, there's nothing you can do or will ever be able to do to be justified in his sight. In fact, Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says this, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection made it possible for you to be justified, for you to be forgiven before God. But that's what he did. It has nothing to do with your efforts. 
It's nothing about what you do. It's all putting your faith in what Jesus did when he gave his life on the cross for us. Here's the thing that I think is interesting about how this falls into this story. is It is possible for us to even take something like loving your neighbors as ourselves and, and use that as some kind of a, a, a way that I'm earning some favor with God if I'm loving people the right way. I'm a charitable person. I'm a good neighbor. Yes, and, and people would say that about me. You're a nice person. And so I'm loving my neighbor. And so I'm doing something that would somehow earn me a favor with God. And his point is this, there's nothing you can do. And when he gives this command and you start to think about, can I love God perfectly from this point on? Or for, have I ever or love my neighbor? No. And that's the point. It brings us to this basic need that all of us are going to need divine help if we're going to ever be justified. So here, let's just take this, put it this way. If you're still trying, still hoping that somehow your good deeds are going to somehow earn you something in this relationship with God, stop and understand it's not about what you do. It's what Jesus has already done for you that makes a difference. And you put your faith and trust in him. So these great commands, first of all, they kind of point out our basic needs. Second thing I see is these great commands, they simplify our basic responsibilities. He just takes everything, and there are lots of commands we know written, and there were the Pharisees, knew, and he takes it all down and boils it into these two things. In fact, the first time Jesus said it, we were reading Matthew 22. Here's how he summarizes the whole thing. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You take all the law and the prophets, and they all fall under this. If you, can, if you figure these out, if you begin to do these things, all the other things will fall into place. Even just take, for example, one that you're familiar with, the Ten Commandments, right? Take the Ten Commandments, the first four of those commandments, all about loving God. It's about having no other God before me, no idols, uh, watch how you don't speak God's name in vain, uh, honor the Sabbath day. And then we talk about honoring your parents, and then not, don't murder, don't steal, and don't covet your neighbor's stuff, right? All, but do you understand what he's saying is if you love God and you love your neighbor, you won't do those things. Even that Leviticus passage where that love your neighbor comes from, it is a whole list of things and how they're to react within the community and how they treat people and all this. But the summary is this. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't do those things or you will do the things you need to. If you're to so he says you can summarize everything in those two. In fact, Paul went as far to say, Galatians chapter 5, he says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He summarizes it. This is what we, so believers, Think about this. This is what he said. Focus on loving God, loving your neighbor. Everything else, the other things will fall into place. So this guy's struggling with this. He's wanting to justify himself as we read. As we read. Look at verse 29 again. Wanting to justify himself. So he asks one more question. And who is my neighbor? Again, he's looking for a loophole. Who is my neighbor? But that's going to be the question that I want us to consider for the next couple of weeks. Who is my neighbor. If God says, love your neighbor as yourself, who's involved in that circle? Who is included in that? This guy is, is saying, yes, I, I, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and I know who that includes, but who would that exclude? Who is it that I can leave off of that list? And I guarantee you, there were some people, I think Jesus will address them, that he would have on that list. I, neighboring to some is good, but those wouldn't be on my list of neighboring, and Jesus is going to answer his question. Now, here's a simple answer. Some would say, well, I'm just supposed to love everyone. Well, yes, that, that's the right answer. Love everybody. But let, let's see if we can be 
as, let's be as specific as we can, see if this command even is more tangible than that. Because if somebody says, I love everybody, my question is, really, do you? You love everybody. What about the people you've never seen? Here's the, here's the point. You don't love everybody because you don't even know everybody. You're not in the present. You can't love everybody. Is it just the people that I, I, I get a picture of? I love all, all of that's maybe getting closer, but I think this command is going to be even more tangible. As we unfold this, what it means when, when he's asked the question, who is my neighbor? I think Jesus is going to, he, he answers it in an interesting fashion. He doesn't just directly say, well, it's, it's Bob and Joe and, 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 and Ralph. He doesn't give them names, but he does explain not only who your neighbor is, but what it looks like for you to love that neighbor as yourself. And here's how Jesus does it. The next several verses, starting in verse number 30, we're going to talk to a story, and today I'm just going to read through it briefly. We're going to look through it in more depth in the weeks to come. But it's a story most of you, I think, had heard, whether you're watching online or here in the room. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan. You've heard that story, right? Or you've heard that name, I mean, we have Good Samaritan health systems and Good Samaritan hospitals, and oh, they're such a Good Samaritan. We have a Good Samaritan law even in, in places. So the idea, we've, we've heard that name, but it's, it's a, a story that Jesus uses now to explain about who your neighbor is and how you're supposed to treat them. Let me just walk through the story today and, and, and give you just an overview. Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Very dramatic, very ooh, tragic, even very sad. Here comes, but, but the story goes on. You know, God must have been smiling because he sends someone immediately that's going to help him. Look what we see in the next verse. Verse 31, a priest, one of God's servants, happened to be going down the same road where this man was hurt. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Oh, wah, 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 wah. That didn't work out like we thought, right? Look at the next phrase. So it keeps going. So too a Levite. Now, a Levite was also a religious worker. He would have been working with the priest, perhaps. And the Levite comes by. And when he came to the place and he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. The hopes are up and they're dashed because the, 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 these guys just keep walking. So now what we're going to see in the next few weeks is we get to this next part. As Jesus mentions this next phrase, everyone in the room, for the most part, becomes uncomfortable. His next phrase is this, but a Samaritan. And without getting great detail here, you may already know, but that, that would have sent a, shiv a shiver down the spines of most of the people that he was talking to. This wasn't just a, you know, this, this side versus that. This, there was a genuine hatred, genuine animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. So with Samaritan to be a part of this story, but even notice now what does the Samaritan do? As he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. In the story, the, one, the least likely one to be able to do this is the one who actually cares. He's the one who actually does something. But he doesn't just help him. Look he got what he does. Verse 34, he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, putting oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, which means now he's walking while the man's on his donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. An inn was a, a hotel perhaps, but also kind of an urgent care facility, if you would, of, of those times. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii. 
He gave them to the innkeeper and look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This guy goes over and above what was not only expected, what, what, he, what he had to do. He did whatever he could because he cared for the guy. And so now Jesus comes back and he asks the question, but he adds a twist to it. Look at verse 36. Jesus says to the expert of the law, so tell me now, after hearing this story, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, I'm sure you would have the same answer. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. And his answer was, verse 37, the expert replied, the one who had mercy on him. Of course, that was the neighbor. Now, if you're, if you're watching this, do you notice the sheer genius in what Jesus has just done? The man's original question was, who is my neighbor? In other words, who do I have to love and care for? Jesus just tweaks that question a little bit, and he says, uh, and so now, which one was the neighbor? Or in other words, if you were in that situation, who would you want to come alongside you? If that was you on this road and you're the one hurt, who would you want coming? You'd say, well, I want everyone to love me that way. I'd want my, whether I knew him or not, I'd want to be cared for. Exactly. Who is my neighbor? Well, who was the real neighbor? It was the one that showed mercy. It was the one who took care of them. And we begin now to understand what it means to, to, be, to be a neighbor is one who would know and, and care for me. And that becomes the point of what Jesus is trying to tell us. If I was on that road, who, who would I want to see coming up over that hill? The guy that's going to show me mercy. That's what a neighbor, being a neighbor, is all about. That's the perspective that we're going to look at for these next few weeks. We spend more time even talking about who is my neighbor. But as we do, let me just give you a couple just kind of basic observations from the word as we look at this story. Here's the first thought I want you to think about. The neighbor, when we try to define that, simply is, based even off of our definition, a neighbor is that person who is in your path. They're on your road. They're on your journey during your day. Those people who live in the regular sphere or the circle, the orbit of your daily life. That's who a neighbor is by this simple definition. Remember, a neighbor some, a neighborly means being close by, being adjacent to. So the road that you're going to travel on today, you're going to come across some people. And whoever, whoever intersects that road, whoever intersects is, is are the people considered neighbor. But here's what I want to suggest as we're walking through this. Many of those people are the ones that are going to be on your journey every day. We talk about a neighbor. Let's not miss the obvious that many of those neighbors are the ones that are going to be right there every day of your life. Maybe because you live close to them. Maybe because you're going to see them at work or at school or something. But neighbors become the people who are on your daily path. And many of those people are going to be there every day of your life. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's some truths that we learn about this neighboring. Neighboring can be very powerful. Think with me for a minute. We just read this story, but think about the desperate situation that this man finds himself in. He is helpless. He can't do anything. And, and you know, we get the impression he will be gone, he'll be a goner if someone doesn't help him. And one man stopping, one man putting his effort into him changed everything. It made every, he, he comes out of this now with, with the healing, with the, uh, with the care, everything. He's been rescued literally by someone who just stopped 
and did the neighborly thing for him. He was just a good neighbor. Maybe his name was Jake and he had khakis. And, I'm just kidding. We, but you understand, what we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a good neighbor. And this man is that example. But think, without him, there was no hope. But when he stops and did what, what his care, now this man has hope. He has peace. He has healing salve on his life. All these things that, it all changed because one person stopped and did what he was supposed to do and loved his neighbor as himself. So as we're looking at this, we get a kind of an interesting advantage point. We have an interesting perspective on this story that the people that Jesus was talking to, they would not have had this perspective because we can now look back in retrospect and we can see that this story is really about Jesus. It's a, it's a picture of what Jesus did. Jesus is the true good Samaritan. He is the true neighbor who stops and, and helps those, all of us who need him, which is all of us in our sins. We're not, the Bible says we're not just injured in our sins. The Bible refers to us as being dead in our trespasses and sins, right? So Jesus comes along seeing our need. He actually puts his life down for us. He dies on a cross for our sins, for our need that we have, for the, the thing that we can't do anything about. He dies for us and we receive him. Then we have, we have been rescued just like this man was. We know that now looking back, that this becomes a, an analogy of even what Jesus does. But here's what I want to share with you. If you have experienced that, if you've been rescued from your sins, if you know Christ is your Savior, you know you have eternal life. Now living within you and the power that God gives you to do what he said to do, you can now make the difference in someone else's life if we love our neighbor as ourselves, God gives us the ability. God gives us the challenge. God gives us the opportunity to literally make a change in a culture, in a family, in, in our own lives, in lives around us, if we'll simply do what he said and let his power help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Think about this. Great things happen when you bring the presence of Jesus to those who live closest to you. That's what neighboring's all about. Great things happen when you just bring the presence of Jesus into you and your relationships with others. Jesus can do things in ways that we could never imagine if we do what we have learned here and we neighbor, we bring Jesus to the situation. Neighboring is powerful, but neighboring is also very practical. That's what we're gonna learn in these next few weeks. It's practical. In fact, I will also add, and we'll learn this, it's also by being practical, it's also costly. This man and what he did, there's a, there was a cost involved, and we'll see that. But I want you just to, today to understand this, this neighboring is very practical. I mean, this, this story has an happy ending. The man is rescued. The, the travel, you know, he's, he's saved, and he's changed by one neighbor. But then Jesus ends everything up. He looks back at his law expert, and how does he end this whole segment? Look at verse 37. Jesus told him now, go and do likewise. Any questions? Pretty clear, isn't it? Did you see what it looks like to be a neighbor? You said you want to love your neighbor as yourself? Go and do that. Go and help the way with, with them in the manner and the way in which that guy, do, do this. You go and do this and, and it'll show you what it means to be a neighbor. Here's what I, we said it before and I'll repeat it again and we've got to keep this in our mind. I'm afraid that so often this idea of loving our neighbors ourselves sounds good, but it's just a slogan 
It's just a religious thing that we know we have to say. It's something that we, we say it, and, and maybe, maybe we mean it, but is it our lifestyle? It, are we truly loving our neighbors the way that God has designed? This, this story, this teaching, there's some valuable lessons, but it boils down to this. Jesus basically just, he, he gave Nike the expression, just do it, right? Just go do, you, you know what to do. Loving your neighbor, it's very practical, so, so do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what I know. I, I hope that every Sunday, things coming from here are clear and practical. But this one's going to, it's going, going to be right down where we live. May I say it's going to be right down where I live. I find myself struggling in the neighboring department sometimes. Part of it's personality. Part of it is, is just, there's several reasons. We're even going to talk about some of those challenges. But the point is, we all need to hear this and let God grow in us this idea of neighboring the way he has called us to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Which leads me to one last thought, and that is these great commands are meant to be taken literally. Now you might say, well, duh, of course, it's the Bible. You should take, but I want you to think about it. Sometimes we hear God say things and, and it sounds good, but think about just that first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That just kind of rolls off the tongue if you've been in church at all. We've heard it so many times. What does that mean? Would, would you say, I'm loving God and his, his will, his life, my, my relationship with him, that's top priority. It's above everything else I ever do. Work, career, entertainment, kids, everything else, that's top. Is it? it? Can it be literal that we love God first and above everything? Of course, none of us are going to do it perfectly. we got a ways to go. But will we really say that that's our first and, and greatest priority? You see, it's meant to be literal. But let's look at the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. So let's ask the question. So who is my neighbor? Who is this command? Who is it that I'm supposed to love if we're literally looking at this? Could it be possible that the neighbor is that person that's right in front of your face? Could it be as simple as the fact that Jesus is saying, love the person right in front of you? Could it be as simple as Jesus is saying, love your actual neighbor, the one that lives right next door or across the hall or across the field? Could it be that literal and that simple? Absolutely. That God says, love your neighbor, and that neighbor could be that very person that, you're, that you're, you see every day on a very close basis. Here's what we know. In our culture, we are considered to be one of the most connected cultures of all time. And it's true, travel, technology, we're, we're connected, but that doesn't mean our relationships are as deep and as strong as they could be. And sometimes we find ourselves even isolated from others. And then you throw a pandemic on that and isolation takes on a whole new meaning, right? And so what we have to do is we've got to make a, constant, uh, a conscious decision to take the admonition, this command, and to literally walk across the street or walk across the field or across the hall and, and to truly get to know and to love and to serve our neighbors, those who are literally in close proximity to us to take this literally and love them the way God has called us to. A couple of verses of scripture that kind of popped off the page to me this week. Acts chapter 17, verse number 26, Paul's talking to a group of, of philosophers and he's describing God in this way. Verse 26, from one man, he, that's God, made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth 
And he marked out their appointed times in history and notice and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Now, there's a lot in that statement, but right there in the middle, he actually said that God had a purpose for where people lived. He actually put them where they were to live and to grow up and to start their family. God set their boundaries. Do you think it's possible that as a follower of Christ, God knows where you live and he put you there on purpose? To be a neighbor to the people that are around you? Or maybe put you in your job or your sphere of influence or your school or wherever it is, put you there? Do you think it's possible that a sovereign God would want to be neighborly enough that he'd put you right there in the place to live where you're living? You think, oh, I picked that house out. I picked that community because of the school. Do you think maybe God put you there because you being a neighbor could make the difference in one of your neighbor's life? That if you love your neighbor as yourself, you could change that neighborhood or you could change a community, you could change a work. God is that interested in who we are and that literal that he says, love your neighbor, and I'm actually going to put you in the place where you become the neighbor that can make a difference in that particular location. So our question is this, who is my actual neighbor? You think, well, that's simple, and, and I hope it is. And I do believe we're going we're gonna to talk in the next few weeks that this is probably bigger than any of us could ever imagine. But let's start real simple today. Who is my actual neighbor. By God's design, if he put me where I live, who are my actual neighbors? So you should see in your, uh, on your outline, and, and if you're online and you don't see one of these, just draw a tic-tac board on your screen or on your piece of paper. Just draw tic-tac-toe. Some of you already found this and you've been playing tic-tac-toe while I'm preaching. I get that. I understand. But if, if you have any room left, let me just have you look at this. Because in your, right in the middle is, is kind of a highlighted house and I would encourage you to write on that square maybe your name or your address or just put the words, you are here. That's you, right in the middle of this grid, right? And I want you to be thinking now, where did God put me someplace on purpose for a reason? Or, so let's talk right there where I'm at. Now, think about all of those places around you, those eight dwellings, those eight neighbors, those eight people closest to where you live. Now, me, this is, a, this is perfect for me. I have a great tic-tac-toe board. Me and there's eight neighbors. I can, I can point to their house. It's real simple. Some of you may have a neighborhood like mine. That's real simple. Some of you may not be quite as easy. Maybe you live on a, you know, you have a, a straight line or maybe you've got acres of corn between you and your next neighbor, right? But all of us could think, who are the eight closest people to where I live? Where are the eight closest homes to where I live? So be picturing those and be thinking about putting those in these blocks. But then I want you to do one other thing. On the side of, of those, I'd like you to write three simple letters, A, B, and C. And I want you to do it in every one of the boxes. And this is going to take you not just this morning. I, I challenge you to do this throughout this week. You get a picture of who those eight closest people are. Then A, B, C, and each one of those stands for something. Here's my first question. Of those eight closest people to you, A, do you know their names? all their names in that, that live in that house or that apartment? Can you name them all? Two, do you know some details about their life? Some information such as 
uh, you know, more than just what you would see by driving by. You know, they like white cars and a green house. More than that. Do you know how many kids are there? Do you know what, what they do for a living? Just some, some information. And then C, do you know some deeper things, like what they believe, what they think about life, some of the things that takes a, an actual conversation to have. My, my challenge is to, to start looking through those three things and all those eight people closest to you, and how can you do it answering those things? Statistically, other churches that have done something like this, 30% of the people can answer A. They can name all the people in those eight houses. 3% of the people can answer B. A few details besides the house color. 1% of people are able to actually know something deeper about their neighbors. So my challenge, my encouragement is, let's make that better. Let's take a step toward being neighborly by getting to know those eight people closest to us. Their names. There are some details and some, some information and some details about them. And then the next step, that our first step is just becoming acquainted with them. Our next step is then let's pray for them. Let's pray for them by name. And if you don't know their name yet, then that's, the, that's our assignment. Let's find out their names. And start praying for them. Start praying that God would do a work, that he would let them know him better and that they would, they would experience his love. And then pray for yourself as a neighbor. God, help me to be intentional about getting to know them and about being a good neighbor to them and help me to do, learn what it means to love them specifically as a neighbor and do that, right? A, know their names. B, shake, go across and shake their hand. Well, maybe COVID, you got to give them an air five, but do whatever, but call them by name, not just, hey, you, or hey, buddy, but call them by name. And then C, let them know in, in this sense that, that, you, that you, let them into your life and make sure you know that you're willing to be a part of theirs if they want it. Name, information, details. Here's what we know about our neighbors. We are to know our neighbors, love our neighbors, serve our neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are we going to take that literally and we start right here? That's my challenge. I hope that you'll, you'll think about this week. With, with that in mind, let me just kind of wrap this up with a couple of questions. Number one, do you have confident assurance that you have eternal life, not because of what something you're doing or have done, but because you've received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ? Has there been a point in your life when you realize as a sinner that you needed a Savior you called out to God in repentance and said, God, save me and forgive me. And you, you started a new life with him. Do you know that? If not, then why not today? Why not today say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I believe Jesus died and rose again to save me. Please rescue me, forgive me, save me. I want to follow you with my life. But my second question is, for those of you who know that, you've received that, then my question is, how are you doing it neighboring? Is there some improvements that even maybe God said to you right now? And we've got a lot we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. But just the fact of how can I know my neighbors better and just start the journey there. God, will you allow me to, to learn how to truly love my neighbors as myself? Let's bow our heads together this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, we take just a moment and let what we've said kind of melt and Meditate on those thoughts today and whether you're on, online or you're here in the audience, think about what it means to be a neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor and how can I love them the way God has called me to? 
we're going to find out in the next few weeks is that's not easy. Some neighbors are hard to love, and I get that. But is it possible for us to make a difference in someone's life if we do what God has called us to? Absolutely. So right here, as we're, we wrap this up, I invite you to take some time to talk to God. Let me just pray for you and pray for us as we, we put these things into our minds. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. Thank you for the simplicity that you took all those commands and you put them down into two things. Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. So Lord, help those to ring in our minds to make sense, but Lord, then help us to be willing to apply those with your strength. For anyone under the sound of my voice, God, that has not yet received Christ as Savior, please draw them. Help them to see that this is their need. This is what they, they need salvation, the need forgiveness. If they have questions, please help them to follow up and to say, would you please show me, explain to me, God, please draw them to yourself. And then for us who know you, help us to say, God, help us to be that neighbor that you called us to be to point people to you, to show your love so that others will know that you're real. Lord, show us that. So God, I just commit this to your hands. I commit this audience to you, and I pray that we'll take these truths and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed here in the audience and eyes closed. Let's just think about that and commit some of that to prayer today. Wherever that leaves you, wherever it is, God, even first step, help me to fill out this chart and just see what I know about my neighbors and take whatever next step is to know them better. I'll give you just a moment and just spend some time talking to the Lord about what he said to you today.